All right. With that, uh, with that ask uh, having been made, we uh, we'll turn our attention to uh, to the Word of God this morning. And I'd like to uh, I'd like for us to take for our our scripture reading this morning. Uh, it'll come out of the eleventh chapter of Acts of the Apostles, eleventh chapter of Acts, and uh, and we will uh, we'll start in verse nineteen, Acts chapter eleven, and verse nineteen. And as we uh, as we look at this, and, and as we get ready to uh, to send our attention to uh, this verse of scripture, I'm going to give just a moment while you find it uh, for those who want to find it in their Bible. You know, we we look at the world that's going on before us today, and and you know we say, well, how you know what what happened? Uh, what happened to churches? Right? Uh, I saw something this week that it just blew my mind. It just it just blew my mind. It's a, it was a news article that I read where uh, a church in Iceland had a picture of a breasted Jesus jumping over a rainbow. A breasted Jesus jumping over a rainbow. And that is the state church of Iceland that did that. That blew my mind. I really couldn't believe I really couldn't believe that that the, a church <laughs> would put that out. It, it it I just it just blew my mind. It, it, it's you know the political the political rhetoric beside it, it you know is one thing, right? But I'm not even approaching it from the stance of the political that we recognize it as in the day and the age that we live in. I am approaching it from the doctrinal and the theological, and I'm like, how in the world? Do you arrive at a position as a church that you say we're going to put this out for consumption? The church's mission is to convince, well, the, the, the Holy Spirit does the work, but the church's mission is to teach the world and to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And it's the Holy Ghost's job to convince the world of sin. Having convinced the world of sin, people know that they're sinners and that they are uh, that they have fallen short of the expectations of God, recognizing that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, that nevertheless uh, tells us that we all have uh, missed the mark. Now, after we get saved, then we're all going to still, from time to time, miss the mark. That's uh, that's not to make an excuse for it, but it's going to happen. And, and so as we start to read here in the 19th verse of the 11th chapter of Acts, um, I, I just want you to think about that, uh, and then we're going to start uh, as, we, as we read. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as, as, Phineas, as Phineas, Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Gent- uh, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the word, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. 
Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he had come, had came, he had and, and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled. Uh, they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And I want to stop right there, and 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 uh, and I would like to use that uh, that last verse there. Um, first, called Christians at Antioch as as my thought for today. Now, as you think about that, and you think about what that what that means, and the reason I brought up what had been put what had been published uh, this week. It's because typically, we, as Christians, we don't really get upset over that stuff. Now, the 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 the, uh, the Mohammedans they get very upset if you publish anything that in any small way may detract from Muhammad, or may put him down, or may call him into question. Anything at all, they get really riled up over it. Now, I'm not saying that we should behave the way that they should because I don't believe that. I believe that just the way Jesus was, just the way that God is, how he's long-suffering toward us, that we also, in like manner, should be long-suffering. I don't think we should rush out to condemn and I'm not approaching it from, a, from that standpoint, even though I do not agree with what they did. We should always take the position and, and, and remember that, that Jesus hung on the cross for sinners. Right? For sinners. Now, what does it mean to be a Christian? Now, that's a pretty open-ended question, isn't it? And that depends on, obviously, in the day and age that we live in, the answer to that question is going to vary upon who you ask and upon what doctrine they believe and what, they, uh, what teachings they adhere to. And, and so, but that's always been the case to a certain degree. But there's a, there is an example that we can go to, that we can look to, and we can say, okay, if we're going to be like the Lord, uh, then these are the things that we've got to do. Uh, as a church, this is the way that we've got to behave. Now, I do want to point out that John John states in uh, in the first letter uh, in First John in in his first epistle, not the Gospel of John, but in First John chapter three, he talks about the day when we will be reunited with Jesus. Now, and so this is a thing that we should all be always be striving towards as Christians. Um, but I don't think we necessarily do it, even the preachers. Uh, I don't think we do it as diligently as God would have us to do it. Uh, and so I want you to think about this. Beloved, now, uh, now we are the sons of God. 
after having been regenerated uh, upon the conviction in our hearts for our sins, upon the contrition generated by that, uh, upon in a, in a state of godly sorrow, calling out to God for forgiveness and having been granted repentance. And at the same time when that repentance is granted, granted the faith whereby we may take it and place it in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our soul, and being adopted into the family of God, now we're the sons of God. He says, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Paul said it this way, in this present world, we look through a glass darkly, don't we? It's very obscure. What are we going to look like when we stand before the Lord? We don't know. We have some ideas. We have some. We read about the Mount of Transfiguration. We read about Moses uh, and Elijah, the Law and the Prophets, appearing before Jesus, reverencing Jesus, and they were shining bastions of light, weren't they? Just the way Jesus was. But what does that look like? Well, we can imagine some things, but the problem is when we start imagining, we can get ourselves into a little bit of trouble. And so I say just. Stick with what the scriptures tell us. Though I think that God gave us an imagination to use for a good reason. He says, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Because we'll all be changed in an instant in a twinkling of an eye. We'll be changed. We will be like him. It doesn't say we might be like him. He says we will be like him. That's everybody who say it. Especially those in the church. Because I believe there's plenty of people who who will be saved that will be a friend of the bridegroom, but not a member of the bride. Or not a part of the bride. For we shall see him as he is. See, right now, no man can look on the face of God and live, even if you've been saved. So we go back and we think about this, and we think about uh, this occurrence that we have happening. We have, a, we have a great revival that's taking place, isn't it? And I want to point out something. This is a revival that's spontaneous. And it's a, it's a revival that, that, that came about... It's a revival that came about through persecution. It's the persecution of Stephen is what precipitated this revival. And, and they go everywhere proclaiming the word of God. And, and we, they, they come to this place in Antioch. And the first group that comes in, uh, they are preaching only to the Jews in the synagogues. Another group comes, and when they come, they're preaching to the Grecians. You have something very amazing taking place in Antioch. Now, there's an another. There's this 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 amazing feat follows two other amazing feats. The first amazing feat was uh, was uh, it took place in Jerusalem on the day at Pentecost. Uh, 
When the Spirit of God was poured out upon the church in Jerusalem in a mighty way, when every man who was there heard the gospel proclaimed in their own tongue by the power of the Spirit of God. And so here we have uh, uh, the second event taking place with one man going by himself with a company of men sent to retrieve him, and that was Peter, and he's brought to Cornelius' house, and there Cornelius explains to him why sent for him and Peter uh, and Peter at first resists now he wants to hold to that old Jewish nature um, but then he understands fully uh, what God was saying to him and, and I want to point it out here uh, he says and this is earlier in the 11th verse uh, he says uh, when he sees this vision up on the roof there uh, when he's living there by Joppa uh, with one Simon the Tanner and so here, here Peter, uh, he has this vision, uh, and he says, Upon which I had fasted my eye, mine eyes, fastened my eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts uh, of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. Now here's the thing, all these are, all these are animals that are forbidden to be eaten by the law. They are unclean animals. Peter, having seen these and knowing everything that he's learned about the law, he makes this statement after he hears this voice saying, Arise, uh, saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. Uh, Peter says, and the voice answered to me, again from heaven. Well, uh, and, and both, so before that, he says, but, not, but I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, call thou not common. Or call not thou common. Uh, and so we have a, this amazing thing taking place at the church, here at Antioch. I can't say the church at Antioch yet because it hasn't been formed, right? It's in the process of being formed. It's in the process of being formed from lively stones. I've I, I seen, uh, you know, there's just been several things happening. Uh, there's been a lot of people worrying about churches being burned down. And I told somebody uh, uh, this week, we were having a conversation, and they were like, oh, they're even burning the churches down. And I looked at them and I said, you can't burn a church down unless you burn the members. <laughs> he said, What? I said, that building isn't the church. The church is erected of lively stones, not of brick and mortar and wood and nails. And he had never thought about that. I want to say this. That's a microcosm of, of what we see today. That people would look at a burning church or a burning building and say they've just burned down the church. Only if you let it. Only if you let it. Now, Notice you have a group that's come and they've been preaching to the Jews in the synagogue. You have a group that has come and they've been preaching to the Grecians. They've been preaching to the Gentiles, haven't they? Think about, I want you to think about this. Because what you have being fashioned and formed 
in Antioch is the first integrated church. And yes, I said that first integrated church. And I mean that exactly the way it sounds. You have the first church that's going to be comprised of Jews and Gentiles. Previously, they had always been separate. The Jews wouldn't even walk in un, into the door of their house. <laughs> but now, they're all going to be seated together on equal footing. The lion and the lamb are going to lie down together in a glorious state of peace and rest that passes all understanding. War ceased. That is why, if we look over in, 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 the, in the Galatian letter that Paul had penned there in the Bible, if we read in Galatians, we read about an instance where James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, uh, that they gave me Barnabas, uh, that they gave me uh, and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen. And they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. Forward to do. Now I want to I want to stop right here and say real quick. That's one of the things that caused the uproar in the church, wasn't it, in Jerusalem? If we read in the first part of the book of Acts, when we read about the in the beginning of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, when uh, there uh, in Jerusalem you had uh, wives who were of a Grecian descent, but they were still wives in the church. Uh, they weren't being or widows. They weren't being taken care of. So they chose seven brethren that were full of the Holy Ghost. They were that had an honest report, and they set them aside to be ordained for the office of deacon of which Stephen was one of them. And we look here, and we remember that, and we think about the division that that caused. Now you have this great church in Antioch that's being formed. The first time it's going to be comprised of Jews and Gentiles. Now I want to stop. I want to stop here. I want to pause. We're going to pause here in the Galatian letter, and I want to go over. I want to go over to the book of Matthew. I want to go over to the book of Matthew, and I want to read a couple verses of scripture. Right. I want to start reading in the eleventh verse, uh, and, uh, and 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 I want to use. Uh, we're going to be in the twenty eighth, the twenty ninth, and the thirtieth verse. It says, "And come unto me, all ye labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you." Right? Come unto me, y'all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Uh, I'll get, you'll get you'll get you'll get you, you'll get salvation. Uh, but it's not just that. It's not just that. He says, "Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart." Now I want to stop right there. I am meek and lowly in heart. You know that is the way that the world loves to have Jesus portrayed. Now, he was meek and lowly in heart. He was always meek and lowly in heart. He was full of compassion, just like his Father in heaven is, like our Father in heaven is. Infinitely compassionate was Jesus. But he had his limits, didn't he? When he came into the house 
uh, of God there in Jerusalem, and he saw them um, making, selling merchandise uh, and, and, and treating the house of God with no veneration, with no uh, regard of respect. He started flipping over the tables of the money changers, and he said, You have made my father's house, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, into a house of merchandise. In other words, a storefront. A storefront. He says over here in the 39th verse, in the, in the 10th chapter, he says, He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Now they were first called Christians at Antioch. Now I want you to think about this. A lot of the most successful people, especially, I would contend, uh, let's say in business, uh, if you read, the, if you listen to them talk, and you listen, and you and you read their books, a lot of them you'll find they accidentally happened upon what happened to them, didn't they? It wasn't because they were beating their head against the wall. Uh, here's the thing: if you want to be saved, you are not going to do it by working your way into heaven. If you want to live an abundant, productive life, you're not going to do it by beating your head against the wall. A lot of times the way it happens is it happens through the providence of God. But nobody recognizes it as the providence of God anymore. They, they chalk it up to, well, I was just lucky. Uh, it was just a, 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 an instance of happenstance. It was just something that happened along the way. Uh, and so uh, there it is. Uh, but no, what happened is, is you, when you stop trying to fight against God uh, and you let God do the work for you, you will find you are much more productive. You're going to actually get saved when you stop trying to work your way into heaven and you realize that it's by grace are you saved and not of yourselves, uh, that it is the gift of God, that it's not acquired through works, then you're going to be really close to acquiring Salvation. Because you didn't acquire it. It was given to you. It's given to you. Now, I want to I I continue here. I want to go down. He says, He that receiveth uh, me, receiveth you, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. Now, verse 41 he says, he that receiveth the prophet shall... Do, 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 do. Uh, that's... He that receiveth the prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man's name, a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, shall receive a righteous man's reward. And so you see, the, uh, the reward is something that is bestowed unto us, isn't it? It's not something that we, that we can actually... Uh, acquire on our own. Now, this is something. This is something that I want us to remember. 
uh, I want us to remember this, uh, and I want us to look at something that uh, the Apostle Paul had written. Uh, over here in, uh, we're going to go into the first book uh, in First Timothy. Uh, and we're going to be uh, we're going to be in the fourth chapter. Uh, he's going to tell Timothy this. He's going to say, "Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine." That's in the fourth chapter, in the thirteenth verse. And now I want to take that verse, and I want us to go to the sixth chapter, and, and I want you to listen to this. Uh, we're going to go to the sixth chapter of First Timothy. It says, "And let as many servants as are under the yoke of their own masters." Now, let me rephrase that into today's nomenclature, right? So we understand it. If you work for somebody else, right? If you work for somebody else, let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. See, as a, as a, as a minister of God, everything that, should, that, that, that I do should be that the ministry... Be not blamed. But as Christians, all of us have the obligation and the duty to carry ourselves in a manner that somebody wouldn't look at what we've done and say, the God that he serves is obviously not worth serving. Because look at how he acts. Look at the way he carries himself. Look at the conversation of his life. He says, and they that have, and they that have believing masters, right? So this is including if you have a, 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 a boss, right? Let's use today's nomenclature. If you have a boss that's an unbeliever, you're supposed to reverence and honor him just exactly the same. That God be not blasphemed. If you have a boss that is a believer, listen to what he says. He says, let them, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefit. These things he tells Timothy to teach and exhort. Now he's going to contrast that with something that is unchristian. He says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, and doting about, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing the gain is God, that gain is godliness. I just, I just presented to you the prosperity gospel. I just presented the prosperity gospel. You do understand that, don't you? The, what's the prosperity gospel teach? Send me your money and God will surely increase your riches. Live your best life now. Is that familiar? There's a guy down in Houston who's got a really big church, and that's what he preaches. When Houston was underwater, he said, we can't open the doors because we just changed the carpets. Let me rephrase. That's not Christian. That's not a Christian church. Not because of 
their, their physical being, but because of the ideology and the doctrine that they teach. That profit or, pro, or that, that, that gain is godliness. There's nothing wrong with profit. They had businesses back in those days that the profit's what they tithed off of. But, but making the gain, making it, but teaching that gain was actually what was, and what was what showed whether one was godly or not, which is what they're really saying, that if you are godly, God will bless you by increasing your riches in this world. That is a heretical teaching. Uh, and he's saying that if anybody comes in, you better not let them teach it. Instead, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Boy, we need some contentment in the world today, don't we? We have got generations running around seeking something they don't even know what they're looking for. Tore up inside because they can't find any rest anywhere in this world. That's because rest isn't found anywhere in this world. It's found in Jesus Christ. Remember, they were first called Christians at Antioch. They were first called Christians at Antioch. How, why were they called Christians at Antioch? Because Barnabas and, and Saul had spent a year teaching them the doctrines of Christ. I want you to understand that, this. Those, those of you that can make up the, the Faith Missionary Baptist Church, and you may be, and those that are visitors from another church of like faith and order, I want you to understand this. That's a direct rebuke of the teaching that once you're saved, you're okay. You're okay in the fact that you're saved, but God expects more. You are created unto good works. They were taught the doctrines so that they could live their life in a manner that would exemplify Christ. Now, who was it? Now, now here's the question. Who labeled them that way? Now, I believe it could be the people that were around the church at Antioch at that time in the, in the area that they were in. But I want to go back. I want to go back to to the Galatian letter. If we go back to the Galatian letter, if I can ever get back there. <laughs> Peter, John, and James are commissioned to go into the circumcision. That was That's the Jews. Barnabas and Paul are commissioned you go into the circumcision or the heathen. So they've already been together for a little while. Only they would that we should remember the poor. The same which I was also forward to do. Now, the 11th verse is really important, and I never really understood the importance of it until I was still studying this, and, and, and it kind of fell into place for me. They're having a meal. Much like we'll have a meal back here someday. <laughs> Again, I don't know when that day is, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I'm expecting fried chicken. 
Verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, Saul, Saul, who is Paul, says, I withstood him to the face. Now see, Jesus is meek and lowly. But when Jesus when Jesus was when when Jesus saw corruption, when Jesus saw backsliding, he stood up and called it out, didn't he? He stood and he told the Pharisees and the Sadducees to their faces, to the to the to the Pharisees that they were hypocrites, and he condemned both of their doctrines to their faces. Jesus probably would have been called toxically masculine. Peter here has made a decision, hasn't he? And upon the decision which Peter has made, Paul has decided to stand up and face-to-face challenge Peter with the decision that he's made. Remember, they were first called Christians at Antioch. We're in Antioch. He says, I stood, I was stood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Because he had did he had committed a fault. He had sinned. I think this is where James learned the verse of Scripture. It says, if you show respect of persons, you sin. He says, For before that certain came from James. See, I, this is where I think James learned that, learned that lesson. And he learned it from Paul. Also from the Spirit of God. He says, before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. Paul was eating, or Peter was eating with the Gentiles. He had no problem. He had already been in their house, hadn't he? He'd been to Cornelius' house. No doubt he'd already sat down and eat with them. He didn't have a problem. But when people came in, that made a deal, a big deal out of it. He says he he withdrew himself and separated. He withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. He showed respect of persons, didn't he? That's a doctrine that's being taught to our kids in schools today, that you should show respect of persons. And God says, with God, there is no respect of persons. Jesus did not make respect of persons when he came into the world to die for the sin of mankind. He said he came to die for all of mankind. All of man. If you're here today and you're lost and you need and you haven't been saved, uh, it's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that you'll achieve it. If you want to be a Christian, uh, you're going to have to live your life as a Christian. That's going to require what Paul told Timothy. It's going to re- require reading. It's going to require exhortation, right? And the other one's slipping my mind. <laughs> Somebody help me out. <laughs> Uh, I hate it when I do that. Reading and exhortation. Give attendance to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. See? You know, that's exactly what the church of Berea did. Everything that came before them, they took it to the scriptures to examine it, whether it be so or not. We should do that. That's That's commendable. It says, and the other Jews disassembled themselves, disassembled likewise with him. Now this is why Paul got so angry. 
This is why he got so angry. He spent a year. I'm going to I'm going to take it from the position that it's after the year that Paul's been there. It could be on the front end. Maybe it's when Paul's trying to lay the foundation of the of, of adhering more to the doctrines of Christ than rather than to the flesh, right? Because the men men judge by the flesh. They accord they judge according. If we go back to the day of creation, they judge according to the dust and not the not the spirit. He's undoing everything Paul's striving to either lay the foundation for or everything that he has laid the foundation for. Peter, in his, because of his prominent position as an apostle, is absolutely undermining everything that's been done at the church in Antioch. And I believe it had to be before the end because it had to be more than likely while the, while the foundation of that church, which the foundation is Jesus Christ, it's laid when they're saved, but while they're laying down the teaching and getting everybody, uh, cl- getting their, getting them cleansed of those old doctrines that they may have adhered to, while they're getting all of that done, here comes Peter to undermine it. You know, that's a big problem we have today. You better not have a church that has a, a segment of that church pulling one way and a segment of that church pulling the other way because it will not survive. And therein lies the problem, isn't it? The problem wasn't that they weren't saved. The problem was that while the doctrines are being taught, there are people that teach against the doctrine in the church. So you can't be Christian and do that. Jesus is meek and lowly, but he expects us... Let's go back to the eleventh. Let's go back to the eleventh verse or eleventh chapter of Matthew. Let's finish that up. And then I'm going to close. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall have rest unto your souls. In other words, you got to get saved. That right? Then you got to take the yoke of Christ upon you. Uh, some people would also say that 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 the take my yoke upon you is actually also being saved. Um, you can you can go that way too. But then the second part is learn of me, learn the doctrines, walk in them, abide by them, make them uh, a light unto your feet, as we say, and a lamp unto your uh, path. Uh, may, uh, let the let the word of God uh, wash over you. Uh, let it sanctify you uh, in the 17th chapter uh, of the book of John uh, in the prayer that God made uh, or that Jesus made there uh, in the garden uh, uh, before he was crucified uh, one of the things that he said uh, was in the 17th verse he said sanctify them uh, through thy truth and then he says thy word is truth and we want to live a sanctified life and never study the Bible and that's never going to happen It's never going to happen. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna close. I don't want to I don't want to tear you too much. I, this is I I mean I think this is for the day and time that we live in, folks. We better get back to the doctrines of Christ. We better remember that if we are going to fly the flag of Christian, that we are expected to be presented as Christian. They should be able to look at us and how we live our life. And they should be able to point. Maybe it's in derision because that's the term. That's the what the term was initially as a term of derision. Maybe they may look and they may point and they may say in disgust, that's a Christian. If young ladies will wait until they get until marriage, if young men will wait until marriage, to engage in coitus. <laughs> you know what happens to their, you know what their peers do? They look at them and say, you must be a Christian. You know that, don't you? They look at them and they say, you must be a Christian. You think you're better than me. No, they just don't want to engage in what you're engaging in. Our young people, folks, we, our young people have been betrayed because we've baptized them into the church after they've been saved and we've just patted them on the back and said, good little Christian, go and have a seat in the pew now. And when you get a job, pay your tithe. And we have not done an adequate enough job to teach the doctrines of Christ and what it means to be Christian. We've got to rectify this, folks. We've got a period of time where we have the option or the, the opportunity before us to begin rectifying that situation. We've got to do it. We've got to do it. If we're going to say that we... I know that in the end we're going to be like Christ. John says that when he comes back we shall be like him. Folks, he hasn't come back yet. So we're supposed to be working to be like him. Let's be Christians, and let's not be ashamed of it. If we're ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of us. That's my message this morning. I want you to, to, to I pray this will be a, of a use. I pray it will, I hope it will spark a, a, a fire uh, within you to want to dive into the word of God and say, Lord, wash over me. Teach me. He will. He will. Brother Williams, if you've got a song. Right. But 
And I'm talking about our denomination, if you want to call it a denomination, right. that's the best way I know how to describe it, is there are so many people that have taken little bits here and a little bit there and divided and trying to divide church, trying to divide church from church instead of being some unified. Yeah. The way we do missions doesn't count. The way that we do uh, uh, Sunday school or Christian Bible school or, or those things don't count. No. Uh, and there's a lot of things that they, that they lift up as, as high and mighty that really aren't. Yeah. And just like Paul withstood to his face, Peter. Don't think about that. This is Peter. Yeah. And Paul said, no, Peter, you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, we need to do the same thing. Yeah. We may not change their mind. Yeah. But they know where we stand. Amen. Amen. Appreciate that. What number? 27. Y'all standing? Hear the blessed Savior calling the oppressed. O ye heavy laden, come with me and rest. Come no longer worry, I will owe, will bear. Be your merry done, bring me every care. Come unto me, un, come unto me, I will give you rest, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, take my yoke upon you. Hear me and be blessed, hear me and be blessed. I am me and lo I'll come come trust my mind come oh come my yoke is easy come my my burdens lie are you disappointed wandering here and there dragging chains of doubt and loaded down with care do unholy feelings struggle in your breast? Bring your house to Jesus, He will give you rest. Come unto me, come unto me. I will give you rest, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, take my yoke upon you. Hear me and be blessed, hear me and be blessed. I am meek and lowly, I am meek and lowly. Come and trust, come and trust my might. Come, my yoke is easy. And come, my burdens light. Stumbling on the mountains, darkness, stumbling, hills and 